When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. A very good Wednesday morning to you. John Paul taking your calls at 1850-333-103. Texts and WhatsApps also available to us at 0862-103-103. Let me put out a text that has come in. To, let us give a shout out to this to see if anyone can offer suggestions to one of our listeners to say, would you or any of your listeners have any idea or any suggestions for me, please? I washed clothes that had a lot of diesel on them in my washing machine. I've now tried everything and I can't get the smell of diesel out of my washing machine. Oh God, so everything that's been washed there's a danger that it's all going to come out smelling of diesel. So how do you get rid of the smell of diesel from a washing machine. If anyone has any suggestions, did you end up with a bad smell? Now, it'll have to be something really strong to get rid of the smell of diesel. Any suggestions, uh, please? I remember the old-fashioned way was vinegar, was to put in, like, buy a bottle of white vinegar and throw that into the washing machine and put it on on a cycle. I have a vague recollection of hearing that that works. Anyway, let's see. Some of our listeners are great on these kind of solutions. How to get rid of the smell of diesel from a washing machine. 1850 or text or WhatsApp 0862103103. And for the amount of people, particularly those in the 65 to 69 age group who have been registering on uh, the hse.ie are go- registering by phone for their vaccination and the number of people that are contacting us <clears throat> saying, particularly those from the county, saying, I know I've got to go to a vaccination centre, but I would prefer to go to the vaccination centre, the ones in West Cork or for people in North Cork, they want to go to the vaccination centre in Mal- Others now are happy out to travel to the city, but not everybody is happy to travel to the city. And I know yesterday, for example, there was a couple of people had text saying, kind of reiterating something that I had said earlier in the week, that they haven't driven long distances in quite some time. I mean, one woman said, uh, you know, she has barely driven her car in the last year because she's been shielding and trying to mind herself from COVID. And she said, I certainly wouldn't be happy about driving to the city, but I want to get my uh, vaccination. So we got onto the HSC just to get them to confirm when would the vaccination centres be opening across the county. And they say the North and the West Cork public vaccination centres will begin vaccination vaccinating people in the 65 to 69 age group next week. Vaccinations for people in this age group will begin now. It will be by appointment only at the West Cork Vaccination Centre from this day week, which is Wednesday, April the 28th. And in Mallow, it's tomorrow week. 
Thursday the 29th of April. The West Cork vaccination centres will alternate between the one in Bantry, that's at the primary care centre, and the one in Clonakilty at the GAA clubs. Vaccinations will begin in Bantry next Wednesday, April 28th, and then they'll be in Clonakilty from Monday, the 3rd of May. The Mallow Vaccination Centre at the Mallow GAA Club, as I say, will begin vaccinating 65 to 69-year-olds tomorrow week, uh, Thursday the 29th. The vaccinations will first vaccinate people who've made appointments online at hse.ie or by ringing the 1850-24-1850 number. Vaccination centres across Cork and Kerry have been established. It's a joint project between the South South West Hospital Group and the Cork Kerry Community Health Care. So it's from next week that the county vaccination centres will be up and running, but it will be strictly by appointment only. So you don't just turn up, you've got to uh, wait. But the portal now is open for everyone between the ages of 65 and 69. 60, the 65 year olds who went live on Monday. But if you're 69 and you still haven't uh, registered, you can register anytime now. It is oh, it, it, it remains open for people aged 65, 66, 67, 68 and 69. And an email in from Melissa says, please don't call out my name, but I'm currently working in a supermarket. I'm 62 with a husband who has an underlying health condition. I can't seem to find out when I can register for my COVID-19 vaccine. No information about the over 60s and those aged between 60 and 64. I'd like to have the vaccine as soon as possible because I'm always worried about bringing COVID-19 at home and there's somebody you know I know they were they, they are certainly deemed to me they're essential workers those that have worked in retail and those that have worked in supermarkets throughout I mean supermarkets never closed to me they're almost like frontline workers and I know there was a push at one stage to have them deemed frontline workers so they could get vaccinated the same time that the teachers were saying they should be vaccinated and members of Vanguard as uh, she nothing became of that of course as we know it's it is going to be age. It's been done by age uh, instead. But anyway, for those aged 60 to 64, the portal hasn't gone live. The online portal hasn't gone live yet for that age group. There had been talks earlier in the week that later this week, the HSC would be ready to announce that when the 64-year-olds would be able to register and then it'll, it'll work back down the same way as it did from the 69 to the 65-year-olds. It'll be next to be the 64-year-olds, then the 63-year-olds, then our listener here, the 62-year-olds, and it'll go down to the 60-year-olds. But they haven't opened the online registration for that yet, so you're going to have to wait. But as soon as they do, we'll certainly be talking about it here in the radio. They'll run ads as they did for the 65 to 69 year olds. So hold off your time. It should be happening. If not at the end of this week, it should be happening next week, even though there may be a slight delay on that because there's a bit of problem now with the AstraZeneca vaccine supply deliveries that now is the HSE are saying is going to affect the speed of the rollout of the jab to the people aged between 65 and uh, 69 because the political target to have 82% of the adult population given at least one dose of COVID-19 by the end of June that certainly I think is almost gone. 
Um, they're now saying it'll be well into July, maybe even towards the end of July. Uh, speaking at the Oireachtas Health Committee yesterday, Damien McCallion, he oversees the vaccine rollout for the HSE. He said they're not in a position at the moment to confirm if the June target would be achieved. And he said it's simply mostly to do with the issue of supply. He was quizzed as to how soon the administration of a quarter of a million doses a week. Now, that was promised that that would happen in April. He was quizzed as to when would that begin. He said that the capacity to reach 250,000 jabs a week is in place to hospitals, our vaccination centres and the pharmacies. But he said the problem is that the supply levels are preventing that from uh, happening. He said that they were hoping to get to the 200,000 mark in the coming weeks but he said they will just not have the supply to achieve that at the moment. The HSE is, ex- was, is, is expecting to receive 800,000 vaccines that's from all of the different providers across this the month of April. They're then expecting to get 1.4 million in May and 1.6 million in June. However, only yesterday AstraZeneca informed them that the delivery of 45,000 doses for this week that unfortunately is only going to be 9,000 doses instead. There's also going to be a delay of three days in the 165,000 doses that were due to co- that are due to come on Friday of next week. It's going to be into the following week before th- for that arrives. And obviously, they're all the AstraZeneca ones that they're hoping to give. Uh, they certainly have lined up to give to the 65 to 69 year olds and also to the 60, 60 to 64 year olds. So t- to me, there definitely is going to be a delay in the rollout in that particular age group because they simply won't have enough AstraZeneca. The HSE is also hoping that it's going to be able to use 600,000 doses of Johnson & Johnson and Johnson & Johnson is the single shot uh, vaccine. They're hoping to use it in this quarter Despite the European Medicines Agency yesterday saying there was a possible link with a very rare chance of a blood clot, it seems to be something similar to what has happened with AstraZeneca and NIAC, the National Immunisation Advisory Committee. They will make recommendations on the use of Johnson & Johnson vaccine, but there are hopes that the same restrictions which confine the AstraZeneca vaccines to the over 60s will not apply. Now it'll be interesting to hear from NIAC as to why they will allow the Johnson & Johnson to be used in the under 60s when they won't allow the AstraZeneca one to be used in under 60s because both of them seem to be rare, it seem to be linked to very rare chances of these blood clots. So we'll wait with interest from NIAC on that. And the HSE's clinical director, Colm Henry, said 95% of people aged over 70 will have received a vaccine by this week. There are still some people aged over 70 who haven't got their vaccine uh, yet, but they're hoping to get to 95% by this week. And I know when Dr Mike Thompson uh, joined us on the programme earlier in the week, he reckoned within the next two weeks, because there's, there's an extra supply due in of, or a supply due in of Pfizer that's going to be used for the over 70s. He's very hopeful that everybody over, over the age of 70 who wants a vaccine will be done within the next uh, two weeks. And the housebound uh, patients over 70, are around 1,600 of this group have already been vaccinated and that's where the National Ambulance Service is going 
going out to the households of those people. So they are, that's been a very slow process, obviously, trying to coordinate where the people are, get the ambulance, get the vaccines ready, get the personnel ready and get it to the individual households. They've been working really, really well, I think, with that. So 1,600 have been vaccinated and they reckon there's about 300 left but the HSC are aware of these housebound patients and the national, they're working with the National Ambulance Service and they're getting around to those uh, people. And Professor Karina Butler from NIAC said they're still examining whether the gap between the first and the second dose of Pfizer and Moderna can be extended. And if they go down that route of extending the gap between Pfizer and Moderna, it does mean that a lot more people will get their first dose. And we know that the first jab uh, within uh, weeks you start to build immunity and it's how other countries have done it. Uh, so NIAC are still looking at whether they will stretch out the Pfizer and the Moderna because we know at the second towards the end of this year will be flooded with Pfizer, certainly Pfizer doses because we're to get the extra half a million and then an extra million was announced wasn't it uh, this week as well so we will have a lot of Pfizer so they'd be able to do a catch up then on the second dose if they decided to stretch out from four weeks to eight weeks or to 12. We'll await to hear Nyack's view. We're getting back on to the HSE uh, because Nicola uh, has contacted us and we've heard this from other people as well wondering when people register with the HSE .ie are over the phone for their vaccines, those that have registered between the age of 65 and 69. And we know that when you register, they ask you for your postcode. And people are wondering, do they match the postcode to the vaccination centre? So therefore, people that have registered who are from North Cork will have to wait until Thursday of next week, the 29th, when the vaccination centre opens in the Mallow GAA Club. And likewise, for those people in West Cork, the vaccination centre opens in Bantry this day week, Wednesday the 28th and people are wondering are they waiting are the HSE linking people because they've asked for the postcode because Nicola is saying is it possible to check for people who are willing to travel from say North Cork or West Cork willing to travel to the city to have their vaccinations or do they have to wait because they're matching people by their location and the reason Nicola's contacted is her husband is anxious uh, to get his vaccine ASAP so he can get back to work so we're going to get on to the HSE just to get that checked uh, to see is that what they're doing I imagine that they asked for a postcode that's what they're going to try and send people to the nearest vaccination centre. But let's wait and see what they come back with. And then another listener is wondering when when the vaccination opens for the 60 to 64 year olds, wondering what she's going to do because she's going to be 61 on the 5th of May. So she said, do I register as a 61 year old? Because she will be 61, say, when it's time to get the vaccine. How do you register as a 60 year old? As far as I know, the way the portal works, it literally is the age you are on the day that you actually register. So we don't know yet when it's going to open for 60 to 64 year olds. It is possible that it it may not open until we're into May and then you will be 65. But if it opens next week, you will still be a 60 year old. So you won't be able to register until the day it opens for 60 year olds. But the way it's gone from 65 to 69 year olds, you'll literally only be waiting a day. It might be, say, Wednesday for the 61 year olds and then it'll be Thursday for the 60 year olds. So it'll literally only be a day. So hold off. 1850 333 103. Court today on C103. With Sean 
Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. According to a report, thousands of euro of pension savings are being consumed by high charges. It's due to pension fees. The findings of the report have prompted the Labour Party to draw up legislation that would force pension providers to be more transparent about charges. And joining me, Labour's finance spokesperson, that's Deputy Jed Nash, who was there and now he's disappeared. OK, we'll see if John Paul uh, can get Jed back because I think people will be quite taken aback by the high levels of uh, charges that some of the prevention pension providers are, um, are, are, are what we're actually paying when we pay into a pension, particularly if you pay into a pension over a lifetime. It's a huge amount that you can lose by the time you get to draw down your pension. Now, while we're waiting for uh, John Paul, are, is that coming through to us? Uh, while we're waiting for, is Jed with us there? We're just waiting on John Paul. Okay, he's with us now, I believe. Um, is he there with us now? The line went deadness. Good morning, Jed. Come on, Jed. You're you're very welcome. Um, I was just while I was talking, waiting for you to get through. I was just um, explaining to listeners that I think people will be really taken aback at this. Reading in the Independent yesterday, as much as six euro out of every ten of a final pension pot can be gone in fees. How are we so unaware of this? Well, yeah, that can be the case. Um, that's the experience for a lot of people who pay into private pension funds to help them save for their retirement. Uh, typically, uh, we now know that about 2.5% or 3.5% is charged on your pension pot each year by a lot of pension providers to help them to manage your fund. Now, that rate is way out of kilter uh, with the experience in analogous European countries and indeed in, in, in the US uh, as well. Now, we know, Trisha, from research that was done by the Department of Social Protection back in 2012, almost 10 years ago, that the annual management charge, and that would be the charge that most of your listeners would be most familiar with, came in at around 2.18%. And we believe that that has grown over the last few years as more people are buying um, private pension funds, as they are encouraged to do by the states to help them to save for you know a reasonable standard of living in their retirement. And we've got about 900,000 people. Uh, in this country, uh, who are paying into private pension funds. And typically, um, all our research and research done by the OECD, uh, the well-respected international think tank, would suggest that Irish fees on management charges for pensions are way out of uh, way out of line with the international experience. And that really diminishes your pension fund over time. And remember, if you've got an annual management charge of 2% or 3% at the upper end uh, of, of the um, situation that we've been outlining over the last couple of days, uh, then that really diminishes your pension pot. The Department of Social Protection has said back in 2012, remember 10 years ago, and things have changed in the last 10 years, things have gotten much, much pricier in this country. Um, they have said that that can take anything from 35 to 45% out of the value of your final pension pot because that annual management charge and some of the charges are actually... Um, uh, charged on a kind of cumulative level. So in the early stage of you saving for your pension, let's say you're in your early 30s and you take out a pension and you're paying 2 to 3% in some cases of an annual management charge, 3 or 4% of a contribution fee and the money you put in every year and various other charges, that might seem small. Mm. Small on €7,000 or €15,000, but when your pension pot becomes 50000 or 100000 a lot of money. percent of annual management charges is, 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 le- is levied 
every year on that total value of your pension pot. So over time, your funds diminishes and you get much less than you would imagine you might get. And there is, the I mean, there, there, is, there is good tax relief on uh, pensions and it's one of the reasons that people are encouraged to sign but up for, for a private pension. But it looks like it, it, all, all of our tax relief must almost go in fees. Well, a, a very significant portion of it. And it is state policy um, in the... You know, you know, in the context of a very generous tax relief that you get uh, for saving uh, for a, a private pension to help you in retirement. And that is a good thing. And we want to encourage people to save for the retirement. And we want to make sure that we've got a decent state pension system as well. And that's a priority for the Labour Party um, going forward. Uh, but it is state policy. It has been for a long number of years now, uh, backed you know, with a state subsidy of several hundred millions of euros each year to help you to save for your retirement uh, days, forty percent, uh, if that's your uh, tax rate, uh, you, you know that that that. It, looking at the analysis that that we've been provided with, and indeed uh, analysis done by the so- Department of Social Protection and the OECD, it suggests that the bulk of that money can be taken up uh, by pension uh, pre-management uh, pension fund management charges, which is quite extraordinary. So what we want to do uh, is to introduce legislation in the first instance to make the myriad of often very high fees that are applied to pension fund holders, we want to make that much more transparent and much clearer. I've spoken to many, many people over the last few months in the context of the research that we, we have carried out and based on the information we've been provided with uh, through independent financial analysis, asking them how they, they consider their annual statement and are they satisfied uh, that the fees that they are charged are transparent. And we can argue all day about whether annual management charges are 0.9% or 3%, and Insurance Ireland accepts that it's within that, that sort of spectrum. Uh, but what we can't argue about is the need for transparency. People are confused. They don't understand what all these charges involve. And this is probably the second most significant investment you will ever make in your life next to you buying, buying a home, house. Buying a house, yeah. But, but as, so consumers, as consumers of pensions, is there anything we can do? I mean, are there any alternatives? Uh, there are. Um, the first thing I would say is that we need to equip you as legislators with the information that you need and we need to bring the industry to heel and say enough is enough. Uh, we need more clarity about what these charges involve so people can have, you know, be armed with the information they need to uh, engage with their brokers, engage with their pension fund providers uh, and source the information they need to make informed decisions and shop around. That's the first step that we need to take. Uh, and interestingly, in the legislation that we proposed yesterday, we published it yesterday, uh, what we want to do is, for example, require the pensions authority to oblige pension providers to, in the annual statements that you receive as a pension, um, private pension, um, um, private pension uh, um, uh, customer, uh, an analysis of what your pension would be on retirement, a forecast at least of what your pension pot would be in retirement if charges are applied at certain percentage intervals, and then for comparative purposes, what your pension pot would be like if no fees were charged at all. Now, obviously, that's unrealistic. There are many people working in the pensions industry who are good advisors, and we need that advice to help us to make um, your professional informed judgments about the kind of products that we want to buy. But what we need to move towards ultimately is what they have in the US and to a degree in the UK, more passively managed funds where there are fewer people uh, taking probably less risks with your pension fund um, passively managed funds are kind of tracker-like funds that track the performance of a, a, a basket of, uh, of different securities and, and bonds and so on. Uh, the likes of Warren Buffett have been uh, great supporters of this approach over the years. He's a very wealthy man indeed. Mm. I think we to argue with somebody like Warren Buffett. 
they are less risky funds, there are fewer people involved in managing them, and ultimately, given the performance of the stock exchange over the last century uh, and the fact that management fees are lower, more of your savings will directly go to you on retirement and less to your pension fund managers. That can only be a good thing. Most of the funds managed in Ireland are actively managed funds, and there's a long investment chain where you have everything from your broker, stockbrokers, dealers, uh, lawyers, administrators, fund managers, getting, as I described it there, pound of flesh out of all of this. And all of the evidence has shown that passively managed funds perform very well, uh, fewer fees involved, uh, less of a percentage charge on the management of those funds, so you get more when you retire. Okay. But 40% of all funds under management in the US, Patricia, uh, are now being managed by in, in, the, in the passive way, and they get really good returns. A lot so of it can unions, be done. For example, it, 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 trade unions in the US, public sector unions, are moving towards these passively managed funds okay. because they know it's better value for, for their Okay, before before we let you go, because I'm, I'm conscious you have another you have another interview coming up. But did Insurance Ireland give a reaction to the report that that came out this week? They, they did indeed. Uh, they gave a reaction to uh, Charlie Weston, who covered this particular issue in the Irish Independent uh, on Monday. And of course, they would debunk uh, the fact that what we have in Ireland is comparatively a very high series of opaque charges that a lot of people don't frankly understand. Uh, they would say that, uh, wouldn't they? They do accept, though, that uh, annual management charges, for example, can come in in the range of 0.9% to 3%. Our experience is, from looking at individual circumstances as well, over the last period of time, that fees are out of kilter with those charged in analogous European countries. And we need to do much better by consumers, by citizens, to help them save for their retirement and make sure that they get the bulk of uh, what it is they save uh, when they retire to help them get a decent standard of living uh, in their retirement. I think that's something that we as a society should aspire towards. And we as legislators have a responsibility to bring the industry into line and to make them essentially more honest. Okay, good luck with that legislation, uh, Jed. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning to you. That is Labour's finance spokesperson, uh, Deputy Jed Nash. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. An Oireachtas committee has written to the Transport Minister, Eamon Ryan, over the backlog of driving tests that has built up because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Deputy Kieran O'Donnell is Chair of the Joint Committee on Transport and Communications Network and he joins me. Good morning to you, Kieran. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome. What is the current waiting list for driving tests? What is it looking like at the moment? Well, the most recent figures are showing that there's just under 100,000 people waiting for, for driving tests at the moment. Now, some of those, Patricia, would be essential drivers and there's about 5,000 of those scheduled for tests. Then there's another 60,000 people actually waiting for tests that would be non-essential. And then there's about 30,000 people who cannot uh, apply for their driving test because once you, you get your theory test, you can apply them for your provisional. But then you have to wait six months. But in addition to that, you must get 12 hours of approved driving lessons, as people would know it. And there are 30,000 people out there that probably have maybe somewhere between 1 and, and 11 hours done. They can't get the 12th hour because under the current uh, Level 5 restrictions, you're not able to get driving tests at the moment to, to, 
to make up those 12 hours to be able to apply for the test. And I would be right in saying in, in the majority of cases they're young drivers. Correct. In addition to that, there's about 80,000 people waiting on driver theory tests. So the process would be people apply for the driver theory test. That entitles them then to apply for that provisional. Then they can effectively go away and start to do the 12 hours. And then they have to, they have to, there must be a six-month period between the provisional license being granted and applying for a driving test. So it's a huge issue at the moment. Uh, we ha- held hearings with the RSA and with various bodies uh, about the particular issue. And really what came to light was that um, we think there are practical steps that can be looked at. And when you talk about young drivers, Patricia, that it could make a difference between having a provisional and a full driving license. It could make a difference between 30% and 80% in the reduction in their motor insurance premiums, which are hugely costly. And we're coming into the summer months in terms of, we'll say, even in the farming area, people being able to ensure they can get a driving test. So we've written both to Minister Eamon Ryan and also to the RSA. Uh, the RSA have come back to us. Uh, we're waiting on a response from the Minister. Um, what we look for was a couple of pretty straightforward things. Number one, the RSA have looked to get their extra complement of driving testers up to 80. They've got an additional 40. Uh, we've asked them that they could get the further 40, which would bring them up to 80, which would give them a full complement of 218. That would reduce the backlog to, to normal 10 weeks by February of next year. We looked for really straightforward things that were um, essential workers would have access to be able to get their mandatory driving test uh, lessons up to get, bring them up to the 12 hours to apply for the license, where there's spare capacity in centres for testing the people that are non-essential would be able to, and they have the 12 hours done, that they could apply and do their test. Uh, we also wanted to see the increase in the capacity of, of driving testers during the day. And then on the theory test, we very much push for a rollout of an online system to ensure people, could, there's no reason in the modern world we couldn't, that people couldn't do the driving theory tests uh, on an online basis. RSA have come back to us on a couple of the points. They are going to be rolling out uh, a theory test for everyone from June of this year. Okay, that's, that's good news. Welcome. That's to be welcomed. That's all online? All online. Okay. So that was one. Secondly, that when they opened their testing centres, the driver theory testing centres, their, the volumes that will be going through will, will go from 15,000 to 50,000 per calendar month. Uh, the big issue there, the big one there for me is that from June, everyone will be able to do their driving test online. As of now, they have a pilot scheme in place for particular categories of vehicle uh, buses and trucks. So this is a huge issue on the ground, particularly for young people um, in terms of being able to sit their, their driving test. And uh, we have, the, I suppose, the... the uh, amazing situation whereby at the moment you cannot do your 12 hours to get the requisite uh, driving test lessons to get the requisite hours to be able to apply for a test however if you're an essential worker and you apply for a driver uh, a test and you get a test mm-hmm. you are then entitled to go out and get some driving lessons at that time, right? So uh, there's inconsistencies within the current system. Obviously, we're operating in a pandemic and we have huge difficulties in terms of safety measures. I'm conscious of that both for the driving instructors, uh, for the driving testers and the centres, and more particularly for people doing the driving test themselves. But we've set out a few few steps which we feel would 
make a major difference. I think the driver theory tests going online will have a huge impact. But for people being able to uh, do the driving test, we need to overcome the issue of being able to sit the extra lessons for essential yeah, like we, to we, We've had somebody, you know, a lady apply to us. She's 11 of the lessons done. Yeah. Lives in a rural area. There isn't yeah. transport. Yeah. It's just a crazy situation. She's only got one more lesson to go. Well, the irony with her is that if she had the 12 lessons at the moment, Patricia, uh, she would then, she could apply online to get it. She would then be entitled to go out and get a few refresher lessons from an approved driving instructor prior to doing the test. So there are anomalies within the system. Obviously, we went through because we want to see how we can assist in terms of proposals. So we put a few practical proposals to both the Minister for Transport and the Department of Transport and the RSA. The ones we, I think the driver theory test is now, in my view, in train. Uh, We need to then see at this point that we get the extra driver testers in place because the problem is, once the restrictions are are lifted, people could be waiting at the moment up to 25 weeks for a test. We want to, the only way you can bring that down is to have extra number of driving testers in place. So it's about Tests on the weekend? Sorry, Patricia? Uh, do driving tests on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday? Well, I mean, I think at this stage, anything we didn't make that particular recommendation. The recommendation we was to see if they would be able to improve the number of, of test that could happen per day. Obviously that's a discussion between the RSA and the driving testers themselves but I think the main thing is everything needs to be looked at. We can't have a situation where we have in particular between people waiting for tests and driving tests and then driving theory tests having the bones of 180,000 people on a waiting list. That's, that, that can't continue. That has to be a temporary uh, list. So I think the driver theory test is now being firmly addressed because the driver theory test will be available online from June. They're going to increase the numbers that will come through the driver theory test centres from 15 to 50,000 when those test centres reopen public health, permitting that obviously advice from NEFID and the department. But we also want to see that extra resources are put into place to get the number of driver testers at centres increase by in total 80 so they get an additional 40 now and at least then they can work on the backlog and then simple things like uh, allowing people even at this point for essential workers someone like your lady there I'm not certain of her circumstances but in her case where she's essential or non-essential she cannot do that extra hour at the moment and yet if she got the, the uh, to if she had the 12 hours, she could do a few refreshers. No, it doesn't, make any, it doesn't, it doesn't, make, it doesn't make any no. sense. And we know that there will be easing of uh, restrictions and we're all waiting to hear what's going to be yeah. easing. It'll be, it'll be next week before we find out. Do you know, is there any talk about easing of restrictions around driving lessons and driving tests? Well, obviously, like we've written to the Minister, um, Eamon Ryan, for transport and uh, we've obviously written to the RSA, like... Obviously, they'll take their advice from NEFID. Um All we can do is make recommendations to the minister. Um, and it's all about, obviously, balancing of risk. But there are inconsistencies in the current system whereby someone who's doing a test can do a few refreshers lessons. But then you have someone like who's an essential worker who needs to drive, cannot even apply for the test because they can't get those extra driving lessons they need to bring them up to 12. So I would hope as we're seeing the, the, the vaccines very much kicking in, the levels of the virus coming down, 
that these practical measures will now be implemented and implemented reasonably quickly. Some of them, I think, could be implemented pretty quickly. I think allowing people to get their lessons up to the 12 for essential workers, I think, is is reasonable. Allowing people that have the 12 uh, lessons done and they may fall into a category whereby they need it for work, that they could uh, take up the capacities in the testing centres at the moment, allowing the the RSA to start recruiting the extra 40 testers on top of the 40 that are already recruiting, and that we suddenly would find that that, that when the restrictions are eased, that the RSA is geared up to basically tackle the backlog quickly rather than... uh, responding to a situation that happens in terms of the easing restrictions, that they're ready to, 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 they're really, I suppose, they have the green flag to very much get these uh, numbers down. And, like, if you think about it, Patricia, in the context of a young driver, uh, you could have between 30 and 80% of it said already in reduction of motor insurance premium. That's Hugely huge, significant. Huge, huge, significant. huge. And, and I'm thinking of people in rural areas yeah. uh, who need their full licence so that they can drive their own car and they don't have to have mummy and daddy in the car with them. There's so many people caught with well, that as well. Well, or, I think okay. it's, it, this is a, an issue that's hugely um, relevant on the ground and it's something that we as a committee will continue to follow up on yeah. both with the RSA and the Minister and the Department. And it definitely inconveniences rural people much more huge. than people well, that are in well, urban areas that have access to public well, transport. Well I mean I, I suppose you, you quoted the, your, the lady there earlier. Yeah with the one less than short. She, well she, she, she encapsulates uh, the inconsistencies in the current system. Yeah. She needs one test she can't get it to be able to apply for the test. If she could apply for the test at the moment, she would be able to go out and get yeah. lessons. Okay. That, that, that okay, matter. listen, we'll uh, keep us updated on this because yeah. I can see lots of people interested in this particular story. In the meantime, thank you for that and thanks, thanks for joining for us. Sure. Good morning to you. That is uh, Deputy Kieran O'Donnell, who's chair of the Joint Committee on Transport and Communications Networks. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking the course. Text WhatsApp 0862-103-103. We're going to take a break. We have news at 11 on the way. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack and Insurances can sale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I want to wish a very happy birthday to Mary Fitzgibbon. She was 95 yesterday. She's currently living in what's the Abbeylands Nursing Home in Kildallery and her niece Joanne contacted me yesterday to say it was Mary Fitzgibbon's birthday so I put a quick call through to Abbeylands and had a quick few words with Mary on her birthday and she seemed to be having a great day and was looking forward to the cake. She's had a a tough old year so happy birthday to Mary Fitzgibbon and hi to the gang at Abbeylands in uh, Kildallery hoping we're finding you all fine uh, today. Now some of your thoughts coming in to us on the driving test issue and the problems with the driving test issue that I just spoke with uh, Deputy Kieran O'Donnell about. Michael says, good morning, Patricia. From a glorious sunny morning on the tip of the Bearer Peninsula. God, oh, you are blessed to be there on a day like today, Michael, for sure. Speaking of driving tests and the massive backlog, I definitely think that this is the right time to grant licences to those who have provisional licence or learner permits as they are now and are waiting for a test, especially those who have been driving on an insurance policy as a named driver 
survivor for a certain period of time. It is now time for an amnesty. I would safely say that the largest percentage of those waiting for a driving test are young people and they're not seniors like it was the last time that there was an amnesty for a driving licence. Remember back that time, some of those that got a licence, it was said at the time, they couldn't even drive in the hens. Thanking you, says uh, Michael. And a reminder of that, remember the amnesty, you have to go back to 1979. The Minister at the time, the Minister of the Environment at the time was a gentleman by the name of Sylvester Barrett and he introduced an amnesty for all holders of a second provisional licence and it was done in an effort to cut waiting lists for driving tests. They were, I can't remember what the number was, but it was well over 100,000 I'm sure was waiting on a driving test. At the time, some 45,000 motorists took up the amnesty. Now, Minister Sylvester Barris defended the decision by saying that the people who would be going from a straight from provisional to a full driving licence were not with out doing a test were drivers he said that weren't inexperienced he said that they'd already held earlier provisional licences and been on the road for several months in some cases for several years and he made the case that many of them had sat a test but when they looked back on the 45,000 who came forward to say yeah I've had, I'm on a second third fourth fifth and sixth provisional only about 15,000 of them had actually sat a test and uh, failed 30,000 of the motorists had never even bothered to sit a test. Now it was a system that was different back then. You just, you literally, you got your provisional driving uh, licence and then you got, I think they lasted for about two years at the time. And then you could get a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth. You could just go on and on and on and as soon as your licence was due for renewal, you just apply and get another one. And that was back in the good old days of the 70s and into the 80s and even into the 90s where people driving around on an L plate were allowed to drive around unaccompanied. Now obviously that's changed since. So it's very different now. Somebody who doesn't have a full licence is really disadvantaged because they always have to have somebody in the car uh, with them. So it's a, you know, it's, it's very different to what it was back in 1979. But Michael is saying that they should introduce some kind of a driving test amnesty like they did in 1979. Now, I can't remember and I'd have to do I'd have to do a lot of digging around because I know I did this before a number of years ago when our driving list test the list for driving tests had gone very very long and people were waiting up to a year for a driving test it was suggested why don't we look again at bringing in a driving test amnesty like what was done in 1979 but I'm sure when I looked into it there was some kind of an EU directive issued to say that we could never again do that we could never introduce a driving test amnesty because the problem with the driving test amnesty there were people I mean rightly as Michael says in his text there was people who got licences who couldn't even drive in the hens there was people who had applied for a provisional licence and then happened to have a second or a subsequent uh, one and they were they'd never actually really taken up driving properly or just were not safe on the road and they ended up getting a full licence because I know many years later there was talks of that everyone who got one of those driving test amnesties, there was talks would, from a road safety point of view, would it not be beneficial if all of them were made to sit a test? There was uproar from the 45,000 people who said, no way are we taking the test and that didn't come to pass. But I'm sure, as I say, I'd have to do a lot of digging around because I remember the last time looking into it. But there definitely was some kind of an EU directive saying that we here in Ireland or indeed any other European country could never do that, could never offer uh, an amnesty. And I suppose it's all to 
do with road safety. You do a test to make sure that you're competent and well able to drive on the road. But you do have a valid point, Michael, in that there are many of those people that are waiting to do a driving test will pass first time round. They are very competent drivers and it's not their fault. It's the fault of the pandemic and all of the restrictions and the fact that we're in level five that they're not able to do the test and people are being disadvantaged because of uh, that. Also on the driving test, a texter says, would the government not consider people that were driving for years but unfortunately, for one reason or another, they let their driving licence lapse. Would they not at least leave those drivers just take their driving test? And if they fail, then ask them to do the lessons that the parts of the test. I don't know how you do lessons on the parts of the test they failed on. I drove for 30 years. Licence has lapsed and now I have to start all over again. What a waste of money and surely it would help ease the backlog. Now, I don't know what percentage of the 100,000 odd people that are waiting to do a driving test, how many of them are in that category that they left their licence lapse and then you're right back to square one. And then somebody else says, Patricia, they are driving and testing in Mallow. It's flat out. I don't know what Deputy Kieran O'Donnell is on about. Yeah, driving lessons, driving tests are going ahead but it's only for essential workers. There's 100,000 people who don't fall under the category of essential workers and many of them obviously are young people who are trying to learn to drive in the hope of going on to get a job or they could be young people who are students and they want to learn to drive so that when universities are back up and running they're going to be able to drive themselves maybe while still living at home uh, etc. So it's not that tests are not going on tests aren't going on but only for they're very strict about that it's only for essential workers and one of the points that we touched on with Kieran O'Donnell certainly for the younger drivers who want to get from their learner permit onto a full licence is to do with the cost of insurance. They're paying huge sums of money on their insurance and it does seem very unfair if they're ready to take their test. They can't because of the level five restrictions and yet their premium comes in for their insurance and they have to pay this astronomic sum of money. That simply just isn't fair. John in Carrigaline feels that insurance companies are laughing all the way to the bank. John says they're robbing people at the moment. My own insurance was up last week. Now John says, and I don't quite understand this, if I told them I was unemployed, it would have been a hundred or more expensive and I don't understand why any insurance company would charge extra for somebody being unemployed according to John that that's what he's been led uh, to believe uh, you if you're fool enough to pay I see it as theft if there's very little people very few people used their cars certainly for any long uh, journeys across last year where are the refunds remember we got refunds last year uh, somebody, oh, the insurance company I was with we got all for one vouchers uh, I remember is that going to happen this year I bet it won't says John in Carrigaline the only thing I can say to you if your insurance was up I don't know if you've paid your premium you've obviously just got the, the cost has only just come in I would suggest shopping around I mean we're always always bringing on experts onto this programme saying to people, particularly when it comes to car insurance, you need to shop around. And I know a couple of months ago, 
my husband's insurance came in and it seemed to be, I thought, a bit on the high side. I said, we're not going to pay that. So I did a bit. Didn't take that long, but an hour, maybe an hour and a half. I went online one afternoon and said, right, this is it. I'm going to take a look at this. And I got it for 280 euro cheaper. Changed um, insurance companies, obviously. We didn't have any problems and it's a simple thing to do. But I got it for 280 euro cheaper. So, I, you know, I've of the 280 euro in my back pocket then handed over to insurance company for the exact same uh, insurance cover as well. So I say to everybody, shop around. We do know, and we've spoken about car insurance on this programme, that they're due to come down because we know with what has happened, what's happening with payouts now, or is it from this, is it this week or next week? Next week, the, the new payouts come where for soft tissue in, injury, people are not going to be getting as much money on some of those uh, claims. And the knock-on effect is everybody should be seeing a decrease in their insurance. We will wait and see though on uh, that one. 1850-333-103. John says we have, this is a different John says, we have people on full and lic- full licences who couldn't even re- reverse the car. It's all, some, well, that's just to do with people who are not that competent about driving and they can be people who are on full licences and people get into bad habits, uh, etc. Okay, also coming in, Patricia, do I have to... If, if you do not register for AstraZeneca, will you be called later on by your GP automatically or will you have to ring to make an appointment? Hmm. Um, uh, I, and I'm assuming you're in this the 65 to 69 uh, age group. I don't, I don't exactly know the answer to that. I know we were told by, wasn't it, Leo Radker came out because of the vaccination hesitancy around AstraZeneca and some people are not opting to register and they were told they'd have to wait until everybody else is vaccinated which we were hoping was going to be June but it's now looking like July. I would suggest if you have decided because of vaccination hesitancy that you don't want AstraZeneca I would suggest that you need to tell your GP that you haven't had your vaccine so that they will be aware of it on their uh, files and they will be, I, I, I don't know whether they then will get to vaccinate you or whether you still end up having to go to one of the vaccination centres. Or failing that, want to put a call through to the HSC live on 1850-24-1850 and let them give you some advice as to, as to what you can do because I, I certainly haven't seen that anywhere as to as to what's to happen but I know at the moment you don't go anywhere near your GP if you're aged between 60 and 69 it's all been done through the vaccination uh, centres so but but if you don't get the vaccination I'm assuming you're going to have to let your GP know that you haven't got it so that he can at least on his files know that you haven't that you haven't been uh, vaccinated and thank you to a huge cohort to people who picked me up on and giving advice to our listener who contacted us early this morning who washed clothes that had been covered in diesel in the washing machine. I don't know how the clothes came out. Hopefully they came out fine but the problem she now has is that the washing machine smells of diesel and she can't get rid of the smell of diesel from the washing machine. Lots of people are suggesting a similar piece of advice which was something that I mentioned when I saw the text come in. You add two cups of vinegar. Now a lot of other people are saying to half a cup of baking soda, mix and put it into the washing machine drawer and then you need to wash that through on a hot cycle. And lots of people are going with that same uh, one. Two cups of white vinegar and a cup of baking soda. Leave it run on a hot hot wash. Two cups of vinegar, baking soda. It's the same one again. This one says run this run the washing machine cycle through a normal wash, then rinse and spin. Open the washer once the 
spin cycle completes and let it dry out, I suppose, naturally air it out almost. And someone else says if you put an egg cup of Dettol in with the clothes that has the diesel on it, it should help in the future if you end up having to do that again. And somebody else, this was Jackie in Bailnablaw, sent me a voice uh, message saying, let's take a listen to what Jackie has to say about the washing machine. Hi Trish, that listener that's got a problem with her washing machine, it might be worth trying pure lavender oil um, and run an empty wash a few times because it does take away the smell of fish, which is very strong as well. So maybe a couple of washes empty with pure lavender oil. Okay. Thank you for that, Jackie. And I love the smell of lavender oil. So there's another one that might work for you. So thank you, as I say, huge, huge number of people getting involved there. But the good old fashioned vinegar uh, one. Now, I would say white vinegar and I can see a lot of our, our callers and texters are saying white vinegar as well. But there was one listener, Jerry, who said you put the bread soda in with a bottle of brown vinegar. I don't know whether it's brown vinegar. Put it in and he said it does uh, the trick. It gets rid of the smell. But he suggests afterwards don't use the washing machine for about three hours. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it won't. Yeah, you see, I'm wondering, is that the brown vinegar? Does the brown vinegar smell stronger than the uh, white uh, vinegar? And Billy and Bannon says vinegar is a marvellous product. You can use it certainly to get rid of the smell of a lot of things, but especially the smell from a washing machine. But he says I would always also only use uh, white vinegar. Yeah, I would go with uh, white vinegar as well. And I know that there are products you can buy. Some people are suggesting that that when you go into any of the supermarkets, there are products you can buy in the supermarket. Uh, Mary was on saying there is something called Spotless. It's available. She buys it in her local Super Value and you use it for both dishwashers and for washing machines and it gives instructions on the pack on how to wash out the washing machine. She also says there's supermarket own branded ones you could get as well. But if you're using any of those products, you need to wash it at a 60 degree wash. OK, so best of luck there to our listener. With Hopefully she give rid of the smell of diesel. Nothing worse than the smell of diesel, especially in your washing machine. And let us know how you get on. Let me go back to car insurance. Eleanor is in Carrigaline. Uh, good morning to you, Eleanor. Good morning. You, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. You have a problem trying to get insurance. Well, I did have, I have now procured it, but I went to several different brokers or people that are advertised on the yellow pages because, as you suggested, shopping around for insurance and stuff like that. Okay. And um, three of the companies refused to quote me for insurance and told me that if I got, the first one told me if I got three refusals from different companies that I could go to a certain place who provide uh, quotes at least, but you would probably more than likely have to take um, the insurance from them because you wouldn't get it um, at a, a better reasonable price. Yeah. So sometimes you might be better staying where you are. But I persisted and I eventually got my insurance €270 Euro, uh, cheaper than what I was quoted by the people I was with. But I feel it's discriminatory uh, towards people who have cars of 10 years and older is mainly the case that I found. And I also find the same with actual tax on the cars because if you have a car over 10 years, you're in the old category rate which could be €750 for a 2 litre car and you could have the same car 
10 and up to 21, and it might only cost you 280 to 300 euros, which again I feel is discriminatory. But I mean, the insurance one is. It's just mind-boggling as to... Yeah, and I know the, the the problem you were having getting the insurance was because the car was over 10 years. and then exactly, and yeah. yeah. And that's why so many people with a car, and you can have a really fantastic car of 10 years and older that's been well-maintained, well-looked after, absolutely nothing wrong with it. But all of the insurance companies started this a number of years ago. Uh, they You've got to stick with your insurance company, but by doing that, you can end up then, as you say, getting very high insurance premiums because you've no choice and that's not fair but I'm delighted to hear that you persevered I did I, I ranked several several different uh, places and like one person was kind of put, pushing it forward when I went on to them but as I say um, they were saying to me like you won't get it elsewhere you won't get it elsewhere etc etc but I mean I did with persistence and as I say it was 260 or 200 and something different Cheaper. Well done. the price of it than the company yeah. that I was already with yeah and you might as well have that money in your bank account and put it into the account of an insurance well, company I'll tell you the truth it paid for my house insurance for the year <laughs> hey well done well done well done. and I'm delighted because we were always told oh, once your car is over 10 years you can't switch insurance providers so you're proving you can with a little bit of perseverance so well done yeah, All right. well I did have to make about 10 phone calls okay, but we're worth it. Money it's well. It. Yeah, it I was... mean, I, I, I don't have access to the internet either. So it was called only I was making. Okay, well, well done. Well done. The perseverance okay. paid off. Thanks, Eleanor. That's Thank Eleanor in Carrigaline showing the perseverance really does uh, pay off. And uh, back to the driving tests, Rose says, just a thought on the driving licence issue and the the huge, huge backlog that we're going to have by the time restrictions are lifted for people needing to do a driving test. When lessons are allowed again, would they not just allow the instructors, the driving instructors, to do the testing? Most students will book an extra hour with their instructor's car to use for the test anyway. So instead of driving to the test centre, just let the instructor act as a tester. They know the tests extremely well and it would certainly help with the backlog. Students will probably feel more relaxed and confident with the instructor as well rather than with a tester they've never met. Uh, Thanking you for reading my text uh, says Rose and how many people have been in the car with their instructor feeling very relaxed and the instructor says you'll have no problem you'll pass your test nerves kick in then because you're in the car with the tester and people end up making silly mistakes and uh, fail. So Rose reckons one way they can't give the driving license amnesty, which they can't because of the EU. Let the instructor do the tests instead. Your thoughts welcomed on that. 1850 333 103. C103 Jobs. Hairdresser is required for Honeybee Hair and Beauty. That's in Skibbereen. While a general labourer is required for the North Cork area, full clean driver's licence or a C1 licence required. Two people are required for a stop and go in Cork City. It'll be for six weeks work. You must have safe pass and manual handling tickets and full driver's licence. And drivers are wanted for full and part-time positions in Skibbereen and in West Cork. Again, you need your full driving licence. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie 
forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now two women who survived sinister stalking incidents have united to campaign for a law to criminalise stalking. Una Ring and Eve McDowell, who both believe they came close to death during their ordeals, want the Irish government to enact clear legislation that would make stalking a standalone criminal offence. Una Ring from Yall joins me to talk about her campaign and in a couple of minutes I'll be speaking with Mary Crilly of the Cork Sexual Violence uh, Centre. But good morning to you, Una. Good morning, thanks for having me on. Uh, Well, listen, you're very welcome. And I spoke with you back in February, just after the man responsible for the stalking, uh, James Steele, uh, was uh, jailed. Um, Just for, I think people would have assumed that when he was in court, that he pleaded guilty to stalking and that's what he was found guilty of. But just what did he actually plead guilty to? He pled guilty to uh, five different counts, actually. Um, there was two counts of criminal damage, one for the house and one for the car. There was being arrested with housebreaking implements, uh, harassment from February 2020 to July 2020, and attempted burglary with intent to commit rape. There were the actual charges. But the word stalking was not mentioned? No, stalking isn't a crime. And there's a big difference, Una, between harassment and stalking. Huge. Like, I was uh, I was harassed when he was messaging me for the six weeks and it crossed the line into stalking when he came to my home, as far as I'm concerned. I know now there isn't, um, <clears throat> excuse me, there isn't a law against stalking, but, like, there, there's a huge, there's a huge, huge difference. Um, like, if, if, some, if somebody kills somebody else, like, they have involuntary manslaughter, manslaughter, they have murder, they have first degree, second degree and third degree murder. Like with stalking, there should be harassment for the likes of messaging, phone calls, emails. But once somebody is following somebody incessantly and calling to their home and calling to their work, like that is stalking. And there is a huge difference. It's, it's so much more sinister and it's actually so much more dangerous. And it does, uh, like 90% of the time, stalking does escalate to violence, whereas harassment generally the, the, at the lower end of the spectrum, it doesn't. Um, but once, once, once it crosses the threshold into stalking, definitely you're in, you're in, you're in serious danger, you know. Yeah, and, and I don't want you reliving, even though I'm I'm sure there isn't a day goes by that you don't relive uh, what happened to you. But could just can you remind um, us how bad that stalking got? Yeah, it was it was horrendous. Like it started with him luring me to um, his place of employment and making unwanted advances. Um, then it went on to um, messaging me for six weeks. Then he came to my house, he painted the car wheels, he painted X's and O's on my living room window and I win was spray painted on the windowsill. And then he left two 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 letters, like the second letter, he threatened to break in and rape myself and my daughter. And then the last time he came to the house, obviously the guards were waiting for him and um, they arrested him with the crowbar rape, duct tape um, and other stuff as well. So like... You know, it was it was very very serious, and only for the guards. Like at the very least, I'd have been raped, but at the very worst, he 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 could possibly have killed me. You know. And does does that go through your head, Una? Of course it does. Of course it does. And like you you do you try not to think of the what if, like you know, but but they're there and they do they do come to the forefront of your mind every now and again. 
and and also like he's going to be released in 2024. So I'm absolutely dreading. I'm dreading that date because, you know, I, I, I will be absolutely terrified and I will be back looking over my shoulder and watching out for him and hoping he doesn't come. And obviously the guards won't be sitting outside my house from midnight to 5am every night, you know. So I do feel that, you know, I, I could quite possibly be in danger when he's released. And, and I remember when we spoke with you after he was uh, jailed and, you know, you, you were sharing your, your story with us. The one thing that really stood out for me was you you mentioning during that whole time between February and uh, July of last year, you know, when you think about we were in the middle of a pandemic and all of that, you actually contemplated getting a tattoo. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was going to get my, my name and town and um, date of birth so that if he abducted and, and killed me and if my body was found within a reasonable length of time that um, they'd be able to identify me very, very quickly. Um, and that's, that was my whole reasoning behind it. And like, had I known, I, I, I didn't find out about the, the internet search for chloroform until after he was arrested, obviously. But had I known that, like I definitely would have, would have gotten it because I, I I was that much in fear, and I mean, as it turned out, rightly so, you know. And Eve from Sligo, the the other lady that you've teamed up with, her story very similar to yours. Very very similar. Now he was more like James Steele wasn't actually following me that I'm aware of. Now he did come to the house and he was messaging me, but he he I never saw him actually following me. And um, whereas Eve ordeal started with this guy following her like no matter where she went he was there and like he was outside her place of work for eight hours one day like nobody has a reason to stand outside a shop for eight hours unless they're up to no good you know and then he tried to break into her house um early one morning and she called the guards and then she he, he actually broke into the the house um again or early hours of, of may and he had a claw hammer and he attacked her roommate who was sleeping on the sofa. But his intent was to get to Eve. If if the roommate hadn't been asleep on the sofa and 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 raised the alarm, then I I don't know what would have happened, Eve. You know, it's just it's just shocking. And stalking is a standalone crime in Britain and in Scotland, isn't it? That's right. It is. Yeah, and that's what we're that's what we're trying to achieve because. They have a standalone crime. The the police over there have um, a lot more power than the guards have here because it is a standalone crime, and the um, the sentences are, you know, are, are well. The sentences for harassment here can reach ten years, but they they generally don't. Um, they they just don't. You know, like um, my guy, like both our, our our guys got seven years with two taken off. They got sentenced to five, um, but they they they're both going to be out in three. You know, yeah, that's the real, real fear factor. Stay there, uh, Una, because I want to bring in Mary Crilly of the Cork Sexual Violence uh, Centre, uh, who's on the other line. Good morning to you, Mary. Morning, Patricia. You're, you're very much supporting Una and Eve's uh, campaign. Isn't it very brave of them both to front up to this campaign? I think they're amazing. Like we kind of met by chance at another meeting, maybe. Uh, what was it, about four weeks ago, and I remember the following day, the three of us kind of caught up because I knew straight away that these two women wanted to do something. They really wanted to make a difference. They wanted to challenge what was going on, and they wanted their voices and others to be heard. So I just kind of thought, well, maybe this is a way we can step in and be supportive by helping them, you know, set up the website, set up the webinar, and we're going to do a survey, you know, asking how many people have 
you know, gone through stalking, we'd be kind of setting up the ducks, if you know what I mean, because at this stage, the Department of Justice have said they've looked at um, the legislation and what we have is fine. And what we're saying is, you know, it's not fine. And we're going to kind of, um, even the Law Reform Commission have said it's not fine. They're recommending a separate stalking legislation be put in. This week in the UK is stalking week. Like what Una said, between harassment and stalking, you can see the total difference. And that word needs to be used. It's not good enough at the department saying it doesn't really matter what word is used. Um, it does matter. It really does matter. It matters to the victims. It matters to people outside. It matters if somebody goes into a guard station and said I was stalked and then somebody says, well, you weren't really. You were harassed because there's no legislation around stalking. So we're trying to change it and gently change it and gently educate about the um, prevalence of stalking and what it's like. Because I think, like I've talked to a few guys who told me that they were stalked, but their fear was that they'd get beaten up. Whereas women's fear is that they're going to get raped. And I think in Eve's case, for a man to say, I'm raping you, but then to say, I'm raping your daughter. Like, as a mother of two daughters, who I know are grown up now, there's nothing worse I could hear. Absolutely nothing worse I could hear. So I just want to say to everybody out there, so please, please, uh, come on the stalking website. It's just stalking.ie um, and sign the petition. Yeah, you've got, uh, you, there's an on, it's, it's an online petition that you're asking people to sign and you're getting good, good, you're getting good traction so far. Well, we've got over 2,000 so far. And I think we've about 150 signed up for the webinar, but we need more. I mean, we're going to kind of continue this even when, you know, the media kind of might die down. But we'll be continuing throughout the summer to kind of build a campaign to kind of make a difference because I feel we're looking for something that Ivana Bastrick said in the Senate yesterday that we needed. The law reforms say we need. Una and Eve, who matter to me more than any of the others, said we need and we're just really going to campaign until we get it. And this is a crime I'm right in saying, even though I know you mentioned men, but it, it affects more women than men, doesn't it? It affects more women than men, but I think stalking kind of does affect men too and, and young men, but absolutely more women. And I think, you know, what happens is women in general, if they're walking home, they've keys in their hands, they're minding themselves, they're told not to have your phones on. It's a bit like don't go out women. So we want to turn the tables and say, look, men, watch out for women, you know, look after them, mind people who are walking around. And for women who feel there's somebody following them, very often they minimise it, they kind of say, oh, I'm imagining it, or even, and I'm sure Owen will back me up on this, somebody might say, if only I was so lucky to have somebody um, following me, if I was only that lucky. It's minimised yeah, in lots yeah. of ways. Or somebody who said to me yesterday, God, wouldn't you think um, if a man was that attractive or mad about a woman, he wouldn't hurt her? It's like they don't get it. It's, it's about control. It's about the terror of deciding for another human being, I'm going to stalk you and I'm going to do whatever I want to do to you. It's horrific. Yeah. And it's a privilege to have met these two women. And we have spent a lot of time together in the past few weeks. And they're amazing. And I just feel um, I'm just the wind behind them. But there is, they're the campaign. And listen, you're a great woman, seriously. You're a great wind. So hang on there, <laughs> hang on there, Mary. Um, Una, um, you know, James Steele is, is behind uh, bars. How How has your life been since? Um, well, it's been like I have been diagnosed with PTSD. I, I, I do still get nightmares. My short-term memory is, is completely shot. I have to write everything down. My concentration is is, is very, very poor. Um, my work has been greatly affected. Like I, I was a full-time office manager before this started um, and then I was put on planning and then that I just couldn't cope with that. And now I'm a part-time administrator and when I started with the company eight years ago, I started as a part-time administrator. So I'm actually right back to where I started in my career eight years ago in in, in the company. 
How, are you going? I'm, are you getting counselling? Oh, I am getting counselling. Yeah. yeah, but like I, I, I do have to pay for it myself. Like I know I was offered counselling in in Cork, but like the drive up from from Yall's Cork, and I don't like driving anyway. Um, like to be an hour up and an hour back and an hour up, there is three hours. Whereas I have a counsellor on my doorstep, and she's very, very good. But again, I do have to pay for it myself. Like his, his counselling will be paid for in prison. You know. Um, Shocking! It's just you know, it's, so, it's like it is. It's, and it's, then you're it's living, annoying, you know? and you're living in fear of twenty twenty four. What happens mm-hmm. then? Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, and you know, I I have been checking online for security, more security devices, bars on the window, roller shutters for the front door and the back door. I have like because I feel that if it, if it reduces my anxiety, like what's the point of me sitting in my sitting room and and being petrified that it's going to break in through the front door if putting in a roller shutter on the inside will stop that, then, I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm going to get it because otherwise I will be living in fear, whereas at least if I feel that my home is secure. Um, you peace of mind. Exactly. You have but peace when, I'm of out mind. When, when I'm out and about, I, I will be constantly looking over my shoulder, 100%, you know. And that, okay. that will be, that will be forever, like, unless, unless he, unless he immigrates or something, but unless that happens like I, I will be and when he's on probation he can't go anywhere so he is going to be here for five years so that's a minimum of five years of me looking over my shoulder and just being back to being on high alert I'm not looking forward to it Okay and in the meantime you're putting your focus into making stalking a criminal uh, offence you'll be taking part in the webinar? Yeah I will yeah yeah and, and, and thanks so much to Mary and, and, and the team at the Cork Sexual Violence Centre we like there is no way we'd have been able to do any of this without them um, and I mean Mary is our rock she is getting us through this you know and, and we can confide in her we can pick up the phone anytime and ring her she's like she's like a family member now you know so we're just so so grateful to herself and, and the others in the Cork Sexual Violence Centre we would not have been able to, to do it without without them and like if anybody is listening and they're going through it, you know, there's a confidential way of contacting us on the website that they can they can send a message and we'll get back to them. You know, so if anybody's feeling that they're being watched but they don't know what to do and they just want to send us an email, they can send a message like confidentially through the through the website and we'll get back onto them and give them and, a hand. And remind us what the website is, Una. It's uh, stalking.ie. Stalking.ie. Okay. Listen. And, and again, sorry, just to echo Mary, like we need as many signatures as possible and we need as many people to sign up for the webinar as possible. Okay. Listen, you look after yourself. I can see lots of people want just sending you love and good luck and, and, and hoping that life uh, gets better for you. Una, thank you for that. And, and no doubt we'll Watch. speak again. Uh, but yeah. thanks uh, for joining us. Um, and Mary, just while I have you on the line, I saw in the, the paper yesterday of uh, your, your, the, this pilot rape crisis centre for homeless people here in Cork. Is that long overdue? It's more kind of a house. It's kind of Katrina Toomey contacted me kind of before Christmas, you know, the, the power woman, the powerhouse behind Penny Dinners. And yeah. it's like when Katrina calls, you just kind of land, you know, just do what you're told to do. So it's more or less trying to get a premises together for women, say, who we've met at night time who might be raped, who might have gone to sexual assault treatment unit, and then basically have nowhere to go or they're back out in the streets where they are raped again, without doubt. So we're looking for a safe place where we could start with maybe two or three women um, who have been raped to try and work with them and help them kind of um, out of homelessness, but really help them get over the trauma of what's after happening to them. Because I've yet to meet a homeless woman who hasn't been raped. That's the reality. And they are fair game, and it's usually somebody who they know are part of their group who has raped them. It's 
terrific. You know, a woman is kind of on the streets and she's seen as, well, she's fair game or else she won't even remember or it doesn't matter because she's um, she's a nothing. So that's what I'm doing with Katrina. So Katrina, because of her involvement in the homeless services, she has all access to all that. So she's the lead on this one and we are totally behind her and with her. Yeah, yeah. God, if it's not bad enough being homeless. Uh, without that, that hanging over your head. Um, Mary, listen, pleasure as always uh, to talk to you. You're doing mighty work and stalking.ie is the website to sign the petition and also people want to sign up for the webinar. Thanks, Patricia. Okay, you mind yourself. Okay. Take care. That is okay. Mary Crilly of the Cork Sexual Violence Centre and before that, uh, Una Ring who uh, was the victim of stalking even though the the, the crime doesn't exist the guy went to jail for harassing and attempted burglary 1850 John Paul taking your calls can I just say to people uh, maybe you've tuned in you didn't hear me mention at the top of the hour uh, we don't have Peter Dowdell available to us uh, today he will be back with us next week as I can see a lot of questions have come in for Peter but he's not here to answer your gardening questions today but he'll be here next Wednesday instead Court to Day on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. To the countless number of people who've been contacting us over the last couple of weeks wondering about Dr. Tony Houlihan, our Chief Medical Officer, and when is he coming back to work and how is he getting on? And uh, people uh, were so touched and uh, sent such lovely messages to him following the death of his much-loved wife, uh, Dr. Emer Feely. Remember, she passed away from cancer in February. Well, it seems that Dr. Tony Houlihan is back at work. He returned to work. I'm assuming it was this week. He's back at the Department of Health. He obviously took leave following the death of his wife and he is expected to gradually resume appearing at the twice weekly briefings on COVID-19 for the media that happens in the Department of Health. I think because people haven't been seeing him, it's Ronan Glynn, the acting chief medical officer who's been taking up that mantle for him. But it is expected, if not this week, certainly next week, he'll start to gradually uh, start attending those meetings. And those meetings now are twice weekly. I mean, at one stage they were happening almost uh, every day. And Dr. Tony Houlihan's return possibly comes at, the, at a very important time because, as we know, the plan to, is due out next week from Neffet. Uh, they will outline how society will start to reopen during May, June and July. So this is going to be a busy, across this week and into next week, busy time for Neffet because they obviously will make the recommendation to the Cabinet and it'll be Thursday of next week that the Cabinet will meet and sign off on what is recommended by Neffet. And of course, as we know, it's happened in the past, they don't always go with what Neffet says, even though I think of late, whatever Neffet says seems to be the Bible for the government. I think they've stuck with everything that Neffet has have said of late. It wasn't always the case, certainly in the back end of last year. They didn't always go with everything that they said. And there's so much kite flying going on at the moment. I even heard it there on the news at 12 o'clock. Some of the government TDs themselves are given out about the kite flying that's going on. And Leo Varadkar, I heard, was being criticised and he was uh, mentioned uh, because he certainly has been talking about the reopening of gyms. He was on his Insta social media uh, account yesterday saying he's sick to death of running around the park. And he said he'll certainly be making a case at Cabinet for gyms to uh, reopen. And he was also separately then talking about the reopening of hairdressers, the reopening of retail, the resumption of religious services 
and there is also talk that there will be a full return to construction in May. I think it's going to come after the bank holiday weekend. Hospitality sector, it appears likely at this point that they will remain closed until June how long in June? Beginning of June, middle of June, end of June? Don't know at this stage. Fine Gael is set to push to ensure that when hospitality opens and obviously it'll be outdoors initially, that pubs that don't serve food will be allowed to reopen at the same time as those that do. So we won't be back at that. That the way it was last year where you had to have, was it, was it? It, was it an eight euro or a nine euro meal or something? Do you remember you had to you had to have food and it's just and then people were bringing in pizzas and pubs that didn't serve food were bringing in pizzas and then they changed the rules and said they had to have kitchens and it just it just all got so messy. So it looks like Fine Gael certainly don't know about the rest of the political parties and I don't know how Neffet are going to feel about it but they're going to push that once hospitality, once pubs and hotels reopen, that everybody reopens together whether you serve food or not. Uh, the government is also considering allowing outdoor activities from next month more, one of the suggestions is you'll be allowed to meet up with more than two households. There'll be a return to amateur sports, clubs and teams, like things like five-a-side soccer will be allowed to uh, res- resume. Non-essential retail sector is expected to start in May as well. Now it'll begin with click and collect. I have a feeling that what they'll do is the 4th of May, isn't it, is the May bank holiday. I think from that uh, date, I think from that week we'll probably get click and collect maybe for a couple of weeks, two weeks maybe. And then Mid, mid-May towards the end of May they'll open up uh, retail more when I suppose they see how click and collect uh, go and the latest public health advice from Neffet they'll meet next week will be considered before any decisions obviously are taken but ministers are keen to hear public health officials assessment on the impact of schools of course because uh, schools fully returned on the 12th of April so they'll see how that has gone and that obviously will help them to decide what advice they're going to give to the government so it's next Thursday the government are due to meet. Now initially yesterday evening we were told that the announcement wouldn't be made until Friday week the government would meet Thursday week and then we wouldn't hear anything until Friday week which obviously is the start of the bank holiday weekend but I saw somebody tweet, I think it was our own uh, Sean Defoe, our political correspondent tweeted late last night that that's been pulled back saving the weekend certainly for for the political journalists and it's going to be Thursday of next week and then we'll get sort of some some indication of what it's going to be like for May, June and uh, July. And then I saw, and I'd, I'd like to try and get some kind of correction on this, if, or clarification on this. It was the Culture Minister, uh, uh, Culture Minister Martin, confirmed that there will be pods of 15 people, Catherine Martin, isn't it? Pods of 15 people will be allowed to meet up for outdoor non-contact sports training and also cultural non-contact activities would be allowed, such as dancing. (laughs) So you have 15 people, you can dance, but there can be no contact. She said outdoor dance for groups of up to 15 people. What she's pushing for, that'll be permitted. And the same for all non-contact outdoor activities will be allowed. She was speaking at the Oireachtas Art Committee. So unless it's some kind of maybe it's a dance class she's talking about because I know when anybody talks about dancing here, a lot of our listeners enjoy social dancing but you don't do social dancing. It's slightly contact. You're holding somebody as you're you're waltzing around the room or doing your quick steps. So I don't think that's what she's talking about. So outdoor dancing in pods of 15. So maybe some kind of dance classes, exercise classes. And of course she's also confirmed that they, they're going to sign off on the reopening of music 
museums, galleries and libraries uh, next week as well and all kind of a positive step for the arts uh, industry but theatres won't reopen because obviously they're in closed spaces it'll be, it'll be some time I think before we see them reopening uh, but certainly Leo Varadkar is pushing for personal services as well barbers and hairdressers and the amount of people that are asking for the hairdresser to open is just uh, it's it's probably well ahead of the gyms but for Leo, Leo Varadkar he thinks the gyms are more important to him and for people who go to the gym the gyms are more important but for others it's getting the old hair uh, cut uh, 1850-333-103 a listener oh this is thank you to one of our regular texts there's no name on this um, they, her, their, her disability allowance was paid into the bank uh, sometimes though it depends is this texture on the bank the person is with unfortunately to that listener who is wondering what's happening her illness benefit the illness benefit hasn't showed up and we are getting on to the Department of Social Protection I did say that I wondered was it an issue with their bank as opposed to an issue with the Department of Social Protection so it's good to hear that we, we are hearing from listeners whose illness and disability allowance has turned up because that gets paid out on a Wednesday. Still getting texts in for Peter Dowdle. He unfortunately not available to join us today for our gardening slot but he will be back with us next uh, Wednesday instead. On driving and driving tests that we spoke about earlier Eileen in Formoy contacted the programme and she's raging with Michael in West Cork who was talking about the amnesty for driving license and said we should look at the am- look at doing another amnesty because there's so many people waiting to get a full license and he said at the end of his text at the end of his email if I can uh, find it at the end of it he said remember he said at the time it was uh, said that some people who got a full license this was back in 1979 with the amnesty on driving license they couldn't drive in the hens well Eileen Infamoy says tell Michael he's got a hell of a cheek to say that those that got their driving license in 1979 in the amnesty could not drive hens he has some cheek and I'm assuming that Eileen Infamoy was one of those in 1979 who got her full license and she's well able to drive. I think he's, he was saying that some of them were, just some, but the majority were well able to uh, drive. Uh, thank you for that. Hi Patricia. About 10 years ago, the local authorities opened up extra driving test centres, i.e. here in Cork, Sarsfield Road and Little Island. They also employed extra testing employees and they got the waiting listing num- waiting list numbers for a driving test under control. That was about 10 years ago. Surely common sense will prevail here. To get the job done, open up more centres and bring in the work- workers. This is not major science. There are ways around it. And it, in fairness, Kieran O'Donnell, Deputy Kieran O'Donnell, who's chair of the Iraq Committee on Transport, like he's calling on the minister. They brought in the RSA and they're, they're some of the things that they suggested. You need to up the testers, you need to get more testers. And I think particularly Particularly if we open up, we come out of this in the summer months and they're allowing driving tests to go ahead. There's longer, brighter evenings, brighter mornings. You know, we could be doing tests. They don't have to just be between nine and five. You know, getting more testers, extend the hours that you do your driving tests. I'm not asking anybody to do a driving test pitch black at 10 o'clock at night, but you could do a driving test at seven or eight o'clock on a fine summer's evening and run tests on Saturday and Sunday as well. Bring in the extra testers because certainly somebody waiting on their driving test will willingly go and take a driving test if they were offered at 10 o'clock on a a Sunday morning they wouldn't have any problems uh, with it at all Joe in Dunmanway this is going back to the people who never took a driving test and got their full licence through the amnesty if I get hit by one of those 45,000 people who got a full licence without ever sitting a driving uh, test it is disgraceful that they're driving and that they never got a 
proper test to prove that they're able to drive their cars. And I don't know if there was any study ever done on the 45,000 who got the amnesty to see, did they have a higher percentage of accidents? Do they crash into people more? I I don't think, I certainly never remember coming across it. It would be an interesting study to do, wouldn't it? To contact some of those 45,000 and just even to get a sample of them and ask them what has their driving been like since they got their licence without ever taking a test. And on the vaccine, a listener says, uh, hi Patricia, just to let other people know, these are people who've got their first vaccine going for their second. My husband's it's my husband's vaccination day, the second uh, shot, and it said you need to bring your vaccination record card with you on the day. After contacting the GP, they said, don't know what you're talking about there. So we contacted a nurse that's involved with vaccinations and she said it's the vaccination record card that you get when you get your first vaccine. You must bring that with you for your second vaccine. I'm surprised actually when your husband got his vaccine and was given that card that he wasn't told it because I know certainly when Marcia, my daughter, got her first vaccine three three weeks ago now she's had had her first um, we got a card and now it was my husband went with her on the day and he was told you need to bring that back with you uh, you know when when you come back so I thought you know maybe your husband didn't hear it maybe they were just very busy the day that he went for his vaccination but I thought everybody would have been clearly told that we've put the vaccination card away safe and ready for when she gets called back for her second one but it is a good reminder to people just in case you're at a vaccination centre and they're all very busy or somebody missed doesn't register with them because a lot of people are going and they're so excited about going to get the jab you might be missing out on some of the information that's given to you so if you go for your first, when you go for your first jab you will be given a card put that card away safely you need to bring it back with you for your second jab 1850 333 103 Cork Diary with Cork County Council's Community Support Programme here to assist vulnerable people with their daily needs through the COVID-19 pandemic. See corkcoco.ie Kildallery Bingo uh, Group reminding you that books for their home bingo are on sale locally in Kildallery. They're also available in Mitchellstown. The books cost €5 and proceeds are going to support Kildallery Community Development and the local GAA uh, Club. While Inascara Camogie Club are enrolling for 2021. They're inviting all girls born in 2015 or before to register. All past members are welcome. Contact Marie at 087 631 4415 or you can email mariehorgan at gmail.com and St Vincent de Paul will be having a collection van in Dunstores Car Park in Ballincollig on Friday, this Friday the 23rd of April from half 7am to 3.30 in the afternoon. They're looking for donations of bagged clean clothing, please. Shoes, curtains, soft furnishing and toys will all be accepted. But unfortunately, they're not able to accept any furniture, anything electrical or any bulky items. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. C103 brings you Farm Talk with John O'Connor, Saturdays at 10am and Wednesdays at 10pm. The IFAC survey for the third year in a row showed that farmers of all ages were continuing to put off succession planning. Less than a quarter had identified a future successor. Almost one in three said their farm was not viable enough. Turn on Farm Talk with Dairy Gold, Post Calver Gold, your trusted feeding partner for your dairy herd this spring.
only on C103. Whether you're looking for a mortgage or you need to move your mortgage, you want to be certain that you're making the right choice. You want good value, a quick and easy application process and a bank that's going to be with you all the way. In other words, a mortgage you'll be right at home with. Talk to a Bank of Ireland mobile mortgage manager and find out how we can help you make the right move. Search Bank of Ireland Mobile Mortgage Manager. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. Over 18s only. Mortgage approval subject to assessment of suitability and affordability. Bank of Ireland Mortgage Bank trading as Bank of Ireland Mortgages is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. I wonder why the sky is blue. How does electricity work? Where do we go when we go asleep? Why do I feel this way? Why does no one like me at school? Why do they say that about me online? Why did he do that? Am I next? Can you help me? Right now, children across Ireland need Childline more than ever. But Childline needs your support to make sure there's always someone there. Will you help make sure no child has to go it alone? Donate today. Search ISPCC Give. Proudly supported by the Vodafone Ireland Foundation. Everyone loves an offer, and at Tesco, we've got lots coming. We're celebrating the power of Tesco Club Card, the power to access exclusive offers. Scan your club card and watch products drop to a lower club card price. With great power comes great savings. Great discounts coming next week. If you're not already a member, sign up at tesco.ie forward slash club card forward slash register. Tesco Club Card, the power to lower prices. Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And when I mentioned that the Culture Minister, Catherine Martin, was uh, confirming that, uh, you know, part of the reopening and the lifting of restrictions uh, will be pods of 15 people being allowed to meet up for outdoor non-contact sports and training and cultural events. And one of the activities uh, she mentioned was outdoor dancing for groups of up to 15 will be permitted. And I was wondering what kind of dancing is she talking about Meg's said it could be dancing at the crossroads you could have 15 people but as far as I know she's saying not, no contact in the dancing please so do your dancing apart dance classes uh, certainly would fall into that uh, category and then on the hairdressers and uh, will hairdressers open or not and there's lots of uh, talk that it will but everybody's trying to find out is it going to be at the 4th of May will it be the start of May will it be the middle of May will it be the end of May somebody said isn't it great to see bald and almost bald men saying that hairdressers can't open oh goodness okay. we won't comment on that any further okay let me go to vaccinations for a second thank you to a texter says hi Trish I got my Pfizer vaccine at Porky Cueve yesterday fantastic experience the way it is rolled out the staff and the army personnel so nice so professional and helpful thanks to all up the rebels and that signed a very happy recipient of their vaccine uh, yesterday and we know that the vaccine rollout began and it was going on in City Hall yesterday for people aged between 65 and 69 and we sent our senior news reporter uh, Fiona Corcoran along and she spoke to some of the people getting the vaccine at the City Hall yesterday. It must have been waiting long enough and you know you'll be a bit nervous. Yeah, hopefully no, I'll go well. Do you have any concerns about getting it? I haven't. No. I haven't to be quite honest, yeah. I had a good look for it and um, you know I'm happy enough to take it. Yeah. You don't care if it's AstraZeneca or anything? No. It's just the, the AstraZeneca I'm getting actually so I'm just I'm just happy to be getting to get the injection and uh, drive on. I'm 
delighted. Absolutely, and I don't mind which one I have. Yes, leave yeah. the vaccines to the experts. If I was going to any other country and I have to get something for yellow fever or something for anything else, I don't start inquiring about what's in it. Yeah. And I'm sure the experts have looked into it and I'm delighted to be going for AstraZeneca today. I haven't been in town for months, so I decided I'd get dressed up and come in today. I know, I was just admiring your yes. hat. It's lovely. Because I haven't been in in ages and actually... It's kind of disappointing. I thought I'd have a shopping spree. I'd forgotten everything was closed. But AstraZeneca all the way. How does it feel to finally have it? Brilliant, great. And they're very organised. So, great to have it. And did you have any concerns about getting it? I or did, we... because I had a clot in my leg. But they brought a doctor in and he confirmed that it's OK. Everything is OK. Did you get the AstraZeneca? Yeah, that's the only one they're given today. Yeah. So everything's fine, thank you. So when you get your second vaccine now, when you're fully fully yeah. vaccinated, what are you looking forward to most? Be able to get out and do what you want to do yourself without having you know restrictions. Yeah. We have a mobile in Gary Vaux, so head down there for the summer. <laughs> oh, fantastic, fantastic all together. I feel a bit safe now anyway. Yeah. You know, it is everything. What are you looking forward to doing most when you're fully vaccinated? Um, I don't know really. You know, just getting back to normal, going to the shops. Did you have any concerns about getting the vaccine? I was worried about the clots, all right, you know. But I said, look, it has to be done. So I said I'd get it anyway. A lot of very excited and grateful people there that our Fiona Corcoran met yesterday and they were getting their vaccine at uh, City Hall and that is continuing today as is uh, Porky Cueve with the North and West Cork Public Vaccination Centres will begin vaccinating people next uh, week. And just on the vaccines and this issue about the vaccination card and make sure you bring your vaccination card with you for the second vaccine. The listener has been back on who sent in the original text to say it was when my husband got the text with the date to come for his first vaccine. They said on the text please bring your vaccination card with you and he didn't have a vaccination card because he was going in to receive his first vaccine. The first text I felt was deceiving as we understood from that message was that he needed to have a record of all of his lifetime vaccines. That's why we contacted our GP before he received his first COVID vaccine. It's ridiculous to have it stated uh, because uh, he hadn't got any vaccines so yeah it's obviously generic text that they're sending out. They send out the same one for the first vaccine and then the second vaccine that you received you must bring your card with you okay so please be aware of that don't panic if you're going for your first vaccine and you get a text saying bring your vaccination card with you you'll get your card when you arrive Hi uh, Patricia this is on the driving licence my mam got one of those driving licences under the amnesty back in 1979. Glad to report she never, or thank God she never has been involved in any kind of a car accident or never caused a car accident. I wonder sometimes people who have passed their test since, how they passed in the first place when you look at the way some people are driving around. I think it's begrudging of the previous texter who was giving out about people getting that driving licence back in 1979. If that person had the option of receiving a driving licence like my mam did I'm sure they'd have taken the hand and all off the department to get it thanking you and that's from uh, Deirdre well done to your mum and may she have many many more years of happy and safe uh, driving still getting in texts for Peter unfortunately Peter not available to join us today but he will be back with us next Wednesday instead 1850 lines are open John Paul taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 with John Q. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Stack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Now, Ballydehob in West Cork has, against all the odds this year, announced that they are organising another outstanding jazz festival featuring some of Ireland's finest contemporary jazz artists across the May Bank Holiday weekend. Joining me to preview the event is Joe O'Leary, Ballydehob Jazz Festival Director. Good morning to you, Joe, or good afternoon. It's gone past 12. Good afternoon <laughs> to you. I'm only rising. Uh, are you? <laughs> no, I'm only rising. The young ones had me up at seven o'clock. Ah, I was going to say it's well for some. And I take it sun shining, beautiful day in Ballydehob? It is stunning. It's stunning. We have the market now in Leaves this morning and it is just stunning. There's people everywhere. It's gorgeous. All socially distanced, obviously. But well done. Well yeah, done. there's little food trucks and buds across the road. It's lovely. There's actually a lovely atmosphere. There's a lot more... I was saying to your producer there, there's a lot more positivity the last kind of week um, with the with the weather and with the news not being so negative, you know, so it's great, yeah. Yeah, I think the weather helps and the fact that the figures are falling and, 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 and particularly parts of West Cork have little or no COVID and, you know, people yeah. are abiding by the rules and regulations, which is terrific. And if we all hang in there, we will come out the other side. Now, your jazz festival, you, you managed to do it last year and you're doing it again this year. You're putting it well, online. We, yeah, we cobbled it together last year because we had about five weeks to cobble it together. So we really, we had to learn very, very quickly. We had to upskill very, very quickly about how to do these things online. And um, it was great. We got stuff from Sin from all over the world. Whereas this year, we decided we'd try and support uh, Irish Irish artists the most, you know, because they're, they're the ones that are struggling immediately next to us, you know. So we're going online with it. Um, we May Bank Holly weekend, the first, second and third. Uh, it's going out at eight o'clock each night. Um, you can you can get tickets through our website, BellyHobJazzFestival dot org, and basically we've got five unbelievable Irish artists two each night, and then on the final night on Monday night we have a premiere which we commissioned a piece of music called Luck Prasna. So it's our first time um, we got support from Cork County Council. Um, 
com- commemoration uh, fund, and it's our first time we able we got to commission a, a, a musician to write a suite of music. So he's writing a suite of music called Lokrasna, which is the Boring Water, which is right beside us here. And uh, that's we're, quite we're, special, isn't it, to have a commission a piece of music? Oh, it's magic for me. It's the real like I've been involved five six years now, and it's my first time. It's, there's a real uh, I get kind of goosebumps about it because I've I've heard his music before. We had we had Paul Dan Lee is the is the artist. He's a trombonist from Cork, Cork based trombonist. But he's got he's played all over the world and he is writing it. And he's just an unbelievable writer. And uh, for, a, for for a festival to commission something specifically for them. It's a big step, you know, in in a cultural way. It's a big cultural step. It's huge. So, it's huge. And how do you go about commissioning a piece of music? I mean, do you, do you give the composer a brief? Yeah, like the brief, it was funny. We kind of, it was a meeting of minds, really. Um, we were looking to commission a piece. Um, obviously, we're always, like, budgets are always relatively tight. So we had to go find a bit of grant aid for it. So we had a, we had a good long couple of chats. And basically, he had... He had written a piece a few years back, two years back, celebrating stories, Irish stories of the War of Independence. Okay. Because uh, when you think about it, all that, all the hundred-year anniversaries have been forgotten about with COVID going on. You know, yeah, we missed out so, and, and been able to commemorate them, which was a real sadness. It's an important thing not to forget, forget our history and to celebrate our history, you know, and our shared history. And so we, um, he had written a piece called "Under the Banner of Four Corners Project," and it was celebrating stories like uh, Constance Markovitz. Michael Collins and turning them to music and obviously when you turn things into music it's very hard for either side of the so-called civil war to say oh that's not what happened because it's music it's a celebration of, of everything you know of, of all sides and um, because you know you can't argue that oh that was a D sharp not a C sharp you know <laughs> so so he wrote that and that was very inspiring we had that down uh, last year we actually got to record it in December and we're going to put that out online quite soon and then, while I got, kind of got inspired by that, and I said, well, would you be interested in writing stories or writing pieces of music based on stories from the immediate area here in the Mizzen? So there's three of the stories. One would be about Pat McCarthy. He was, uh, he was, he's buried in Affidown Cemetery, and he was involved in Kill Michael. And then the raid on the fastness. Yeah, there was a daring raid made in the fastness to steal gunpowder and starters and stuff. And then there was a wonderful woman, uh, well, I'm sure some people didn't think she was wonderful, but in Skull, in Coming to Man, Hagerty, and she, he wrote a piece about her as well. So there are three stories, and it would, there would be projections and everything for the performance and stuff. So we're very excited. That really it, sounds special. Have you, have you heard any of it? I've heard some of it, and it's amazing. Is it? It's gone yeah. slightly more, it's funny, the last, the last tweet he wrote was very traditional, but this time he's starting to use loops and stuff on his trombone. Um, so he'll be layering, it'll be slightly more electronic. So he'll be layering trombone and stuff on top of each other and doing harmonies to himself. And then and he'll have other musicians joining him, obviously. Oh, yeah, he's got a phenomenal band. Uh, one of his band, one the drummer in his band is a, a lad by the name of Matthew Jacobson, who... In the jazz world, is one of the best. He's one of the best drummers in Ireland. Yeah, it's very exciting to get him as well. He's coming out with his own band for one of the nights called Redivider. But then he's also um, playing with Paul. And yeah, the, the band he's got bass player, um, drums, uh, sax, trombone, and guitar. And when you say coming down, are are you bringing all of these acts down? Yeah. Rec- and and they'll be recorded in the village. Is, yeah, is that the plan? So, 
under level five, you're allowed to do this if it's for broadcast purposes. So it's great. Okay. Um, and obviously we do everything so bloody safe. Like, I mean, we're sanit... Jesus, we're almost drinking the sanitizer at this stage. I mean, there's more sanitizer in it than blood. Than, in us than blood these days, I think. But yeah, we, we've got um, uh, two bands each day to record over like 12 hours. So we've lost the time. And we're recording them in the community hall, which has been revamped. Um, and it's all lovely red and gold drapes and stuff. And we're recording in them there and there. And then it'll be going out later in the day. Um, it'll be recorded as live, though. So it'll go, go out as That's live. That's terrific. That, that would give yeah. a fantastic feel then when it's been broadcast. Yeah. Broadcast that night. We, we, it's a, yeah, no, the, the, even though we, we hoped, obviously, for an audience, we actually hope because the hall is massive. And we hoped we'd be about 50 people. Um, originally, when we were booking this last year, late last year, but obviously, unfortunately, we're not at that stage. Um, but I do think the atmosphere, it, it will come across because with lighting and with the, like our sound engineers are amazing. Um, and they're all relatively local. They're all people that live in the area. They're just unbelievable top of their game, you know. So it's great employing people, creating the energy from that. Then the cafes that are open, doing takeaway, get a bit of energy. And the whole thing just grows together. And Valley Hub is great for that, for pulling together, you know. And we've got like, there's like, that's only the musical side of the programme we've got. But it's great to keep, it keeps the festival alive as well. Because so many people and so many festivals and so many events didn't happen last year. Not yeah. happening again this year. You know, I think it's I think it's terrific what you're managing to do, and this is more than just cobbling something together. That this really is terrific. I mean, you've other sort of side events going on, like you you're doing one where you want families to get creative. Yeah, we've got a community art project, um, which is is just gorgeous. I suppose Ballyhob Jazz Festival has always been a, an art festival. Um, and over the years it's become more and more arts festival so like I suppose the jazz can be a bit of a mis- misnomer sometimes but we the music is always jazz related um, but then we always do stuff like the New Orleans Jazz Funeral and we do the, com- the community art project this year normally we do workshops but obviously again not able to do them because of restrictions so the, there's a wonderful uh, group up who've just only moved into the area in the last few years working artist studios and they create amazing sculpture and amazing artworks, amazing, amazing paint, painted works. And they have come together with us and created these packs for the kids. The, basically, they've done cardboard cutouts like stained glass mm-hmm. and then putting all the stuff together, the colour paper, and the kids can make stained glass windows and we're going to hang them up in the in the, old, in the empty shop windows and the empty businesses, you know, um, uh, on the weekend of That's it. brilliant, and it'll, bri- it'll yeah, brighten up the village as well. It's, it's great, and we've got a photographic exhibition of, I think there's about 20 photos going up. Um, they're about two by ones uh, in size, two feet by one foot, and they're going up as well, and they're showing images from previous festivals. It's just, you know, as you say yourself, it's unfortunately, it's very easy not to do something, you know, it's a lot harder to do it, but once you're in it, then the energy created from it, people really appreciate it. And uh, Yeah, and, and what, not, what, but what we now need to do, and it's one of the reasons why I'm chatting to you today, we need people to be aware that this is happening. It's not just for people in Valley de Hob. You can be anywhere and log on online. That's one of the advantages of going yeah. online. And you can buy tickets to, to help support it because there's a cost yeah. involved. Yeah, yeah, I know the cost is actually... <laughs> It's funny, I was laughing about it. It's a smaller lineup, but it's the costs are double nearly because of the streaming element, uh, the recording of it properly. The, you know, the, that really does add add a lot to it. But 
we get a lot of aid. I must I must say thank you to our to, to the grant aid that we get from both Cork County Council Arts Departments, from the Arts Council of Ireland, Falls Ireland. They do give us a, a nice bit to help us get going, but then we do rely on ticket sales an awful lot as well. So that's why, yeah, if you can log on to balladyhubjazzfestival.org, you can go there. We've set it at a suggested donation, but the low point in that is very low, so we do, we want it to be accessible to everyone. We don't want... It's very important to us here, and it's the same when we run the physical festival, that anyone can afford to go to us, you know. Um, so I think the low point is quite low. It's, it's like, quite fi- low. yeah, it's like 15 euro per night or 30 for the for the weekend, yeah. which is which and is three nights and five all, concerts. All, yeah, exactly. And like, it's very affordable. Like, obviously, there's no limit to how much you give. So yeah, if you're, if if you're, you're, if you're if feeling you're generous. Generous, <laughs> yeah, yeah, give a little bit more. Yeah. And Joe, why we have you? Because I've spoken with you before uh, on the programme, and you, your your pub is in is is in beautiful Bally de Hob. How what, what has the last year been like for you? God, it's been the most unusual uh, year. It's there's been positives and negatives. Obviously, very frustrating. Um, I don't want to use the phrase wet pub, but like a traditional pub. Um, very frustrating that traditional pubs weren't allowed open only for, I think, three weeks outdoors this year, yeah. the last 12 months. Sorry. Um, we went and we got a food truck and we started doing food out the back because I, I know Caroline and myself seem to have ridiculous amount of energy sometimes or ridiculous amount of ideas, <laughs> but we started doing food and it was great and the community really appreciated it and it was gorgeous to create, again, the energy and, and the positive energy and to be up trading. But it has been unusual. I suppose the plus side, and there, there has been some plus sides, and I have to say it, because pub trade is a tough trade at the best of times. Um, there's a lot of the nights you're looking at three, four people on, on the weeknights, and, you know, it's all about the conversation, and it's gorgeous, but you're, not, you're definitely not making money, and you're away from your family. And so to be with your family, like we have two young ones, they're four and two now, uh, Lucas and Johanna, and... It's just been amazing hanging out with them uh, and getting, you know, getting, like, this is a beautiful time in their life where they're just discovering everything. Everything's a discovery. What age are they? They're four years and two years. So, like, it's just amazing. And we're we're on our laptops a lot, organising the jazz and organising gigs for Leavises and so on. And some of them, obviously, are organising them and then they don't happen. So it's double the work. But... It's funny, uh, Johanna um, went upstairs <laughs> to, to the office and Johanna was there with a, she had made her own laptop uh, out of, she had drawn drawn the screen with squiggles on it and uh, she has got a, a, a little bit of bubble wrap, that was the keyboard, <laughs> and she said she was making out the jazz guest list. <laughs> Bless her heart. Bless so, her know, heart. It, it's really pockmarked by lovely moments like that and gardening. Yeah. We li- look, Patricia, we live in one of the most amazing parts of the world, and there's no doubt about it. Like, and I'm kind of a blow-in. I'm a local, so I'm a blow-in with local size. Mm. Um, I grew up near McCroom, so like, I, I I wasn't here all my life, but I really appreciate where I am. And yeah, yeah. Listen, any, anyone who, and particularly anyone who's anywhere close by the sea or sea within, you know, is within was within their five k or, uh, you know, you think of people who are living in high rise apartments trying oh. to raise a family with, yeah. you know, maybe a little bit of a balcony, and you th- I think of homeless yeah. people trying to do it inside in a hotel room. And we have a lot to be thankful for and a lot we to appreciate have, we have for so sure. We have so much to be thankful for, and hopefully that sense of community and gr- gratitude will go forward. You know? You're a ray. You're a ray of positivity. The <laughs> the uh, the website to get the tickets. Ballydehob Jazz, Jazz Festival. .org, isn't it? Did I see it was .org, .org it is. Listen, good luck with it. It sounds like it's going to be fantastic. And get out there and enjoy the sunshine while it's while it's while it's sunny. Thanks a million, Joe.
Thanks, Pleasure as always. Uh, bye bye, Joe uh, O'Leary there of uh, Levi's Corner House in uh, Ballydehob and also the Ballydehob Jabs Festival Direct. The Department of Social Protection are unaware of any delays to payments this morning. There was the listener got on to us whose illness benefit hadn't arrived, but they are asking that person if anybody else has problems contact them directly and they look into the matter so it looks like it's got to be an issue with our listeners bank in particular and uh, maybe delayed payments by a few hours and hopefully that will get sorted uh, today Hi Patricia when we're talking about staycations just to let people know we went on this staycation last year and we booked online absolutely grand there was no problem but when we got to our destination and we asked about the pool they said oh no sorry you've got to book the pool in advance then we said oh we'll pop into the sauna and the steam room we said, no, no, they're not open. We didn't know any of this. We weren't told any of this at the time of booking. So I mention it to make people aware if they are booking their staycations to look and make sure that pools are going to be open or if they're not open, you do have to book them. And certainly that that's the way it did operate. Uh, last year it operated the same for hotels. You had to book into a breakfast time. You had to book in for lunch. You had to book in for dinner. And I found that quite frustrating because, you know, when you go away somewhere, you don't want to be constantly watching your... The, you're, you're looking at your watch to say oh we've got lunch booked for one we've to be back to the hotel uh, but whether that's going to be the same this year or not it is very possible it will be uh, because they'll be limited on the numbers of people that will be allowed into places like pools and uh, leisure centres but thank you for drawing our attention to it and we, we give it a shout out to anybody who is booking staycations this year OK that's where I've got to leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10 at the night Patricia Messenger you look after seven stay safe Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.